Well, it is good to be back. I did enjoy being with you this morning. You can turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And uh, that was good times in Chicago. Scary times in Chicago, but good times in Chicago. And so um, I I told him, you know, I don't know if it's age or what, but I know we have good stories. I just can't remember them. And he said, I'm going to remind you this week. And so uh, we'll, we'll see. And I'm a little nervous that he's going to remind me of something I don't want to remember. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I do want to say that, um, hey, just I'm just going to throw it out there. If your preacher who's lined up for the stakeout falls through, give me a call. All right. And uh, I'll be out here. Um, and, uh, no, I love that. And my boys love going to the men's stakeout and stuff like that. That's a good time. If, if Guys, if you're not planning on going, you should plan on going. And, uh, hey, let me just say something real quick. As y'all are, y'all, I'm, y'all, y'all, y'all at Luke 8, say amen. All right, so just hold your place. Look at, uh, we'll start around verse 40, but just uh, hold your place for a second. Let me just say this. I loved hearing that bus report, and, um, uh, but you know, I, I've, I've heard that testimony before because that, that's a God thing. That's how it works. I've, I've experienced it before where I just felt like, hey, I'm supposed to go over here. And I, it happened, uh, I guess, a couple, couple months ago. I started some, a teen soul winning club, and Started teaching and training teens to go soul winning, and I, I, we were going to these apartments that had, uh, you know, no soliciting sign right out of the entrance, and one of the teen girls got all, you know how teen girls can be, right? And uh, she was like, there's no solicit, we're going to get in trouble, blah, 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 blah. And God, I just, I mean, he led me right to a specific building, right to a specific uh, apartment, and I went right up to his top story, and uh, right to the first door, and this guy opened the door, and he, he was just ready to get saved, and he, he, was, he was like, yeah, what do I got to do? And he got saved, amen? And I walked out there, and I was looking at that teen girl. I was like, you see? And, uh, and, uh, but here's the thing, you know, <clears throat> a couple weeks later, that teen girl, she, she called it. Her name's Emily. She called it, and we were at another place, and she was, she was going. She was out there speed walking, through, you know, trying to find people, and she got to, uh, hey, Shelly, I found my other pen. I accused you of taking this morning. Okay. Um, sorry. That's how my brain works. Okay. But uh, she, I come around the corner, and she's talking to this guy, and he's got tattoos down both arms. He has a swastika tattooed on his neck. He's got, I mean, he looked like he was bobbing for apples and tackle boxes, just stuff everywhere. And uh, some of y'all get that later. All right. So, but he, um, I just stopped, and I was listening. And actually, one of the other teen girls came and got me and said, hey, she's talking to a guy. You need to go over there. So I go over there, and I'm just watching. And I'm like, oh, she's witnessing to him. And I just sit back, and he's looking at this little girl going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he bows his head, and he starts praying. When she was done, I went over and started already. <sighs> okay. I go over and. And I say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm out here with him. And I just went, hey, what happened right now? And she was like, I got saved. And he shook my hand. And, and he said, you know, it was so weird. I was upstairs in my bedroom. And I had left something in my car. And something said, go get it right now. And he said, I didn't, I didn't even need it. But just something said, I need to go out to my car and get that thing. And as soon as I walked out the, my apartment door, Emily was standing right there. And she handed me this piece of paper. And I thought, it didn't just happen. That was a divine appointment. But let me tell you the, the one thing that will always keep it from happening if you don't go. Let me encourage you. Go. Y'all at Luke yet? Just kidding. 
Luke chapter 8. Okay. Luke chapter 8. I'm not there. Okay. 840. Is that what I said? Yeah. Let's start there. 840. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then I'll pray. This will probably be the shortest. So I shouldn't say that, because if I do go long, then you're going to be scared the rest of the week. I don't plan on preaching long. We'll see how how that goes. Let's let's read a few verses, and then um, pray and jump into it here. Look with me in verse 40. It says, And it came to pass that... When Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named uh, Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying, but uh, but as he went, the people thronged him. All right, and so now for verse 43, we're going to pick up on the story we're going to focus on here. It says... And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace." And then it continues back on that other story. So we're going to talk about this story here real quick. But just to get the idea, there was this throng. So Jesus was traveling. His ministry had started. And I didn't pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, for your goodness, God. Thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for those who got saved, Father. I thank you for uh, the wonderful testimony, Lord. And I, I thank you for how you work things together for good, Lord. And I thank you for how your spirit moves and guides and and um. Uh, the things that, Lord, we can get accomplished by your grace. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless this service, Lord, that likewise uh, hearts would be ministered to, Lord. But, again, I don't want to get in the way. So, Father, hide me behind the cross, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would have your will done in the hearts and minds of your people tonight for your glory. Amen. And so we have this there's Jesus, he's doing this traveling ministry, and, um, and he's going all over the place preaching and healing, and all these things are happening, and he's traveling, and this guy comes to him and says, my daughter, she's 12 years old, she's sick bad, you need to come quick. But as he's coming, there's so many people, he can't get through. There's this press, and that was a literal term, it means they were pressed against him. He's trying to walk, and there's just people everywhere surrounding him, and he can't get through. And in the middle of all that, here's this woman who has this blood disease, and somehow, with this massive crowd around him, she gets through, and she touches the hem of his garment. And he yells, who touched me? And Peter's like, we all touched you. We're all over. The, you know, we're, this is, a, this is a quite the crowd here. And, and uh, uh, he says, no, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And that virtue is that doom. It's like that, that Holy Spirit power, like this miracle working power has gone out of me. And he said that uh, uh, somebody had touched him 
differently than those other people, okay? And so we're going to look at that because this is very interesting. I like to look at words in the Bible, and since this is a Bible conference, let's use our Bibles, amen? And, um, but I, I looked up all the words that are translated in the New Testament to the word touch. And I want you to think about, actually, can I get some help? Brother, brother choir director, leader, sir, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Can, do you think you could help me? Andrew? Thank you so much. <clears throat> come, I just, can you come up here? I just need a big guy that, that's not going to, I need a big guy, but that won't beat me up and you look really nice. So, all right. And uh, I was going to do this with Brother Richard, a pastor at Lejeune, but, I'm, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 like the, I love the Bible. Uh, you know, there's a story in there about some kids who were making fun of the bald preacher and she bears came out the woods and eat them. Ate the kids. I don't. I don't mess with the man of God. So I. I you know. You're not a pastor, right? Okay. <clears throat> All right. Are you? Okay. Okay. Um. I don't mess with the man of God. So the, I, I want to just go over some of these words because I just want to get your brain engaged in this thought process here. Okay. These are the words that are translated in the New Testament to the word touch. Jesus said, "Who touched me?" These words are translated to the word touch, but it's not. In this particular passage, it's not used. These words are not used. So there's haptomai, haptomahi, sorry. That's to attach oneself to. So that's like, I'm just going to be awkward. I'm sorry, just get over it. All right. And so here's one type of touch, but that's not the touch that he said, okay? Uh, there's, I'm sorry, haptomai is the one to attach to. Sorry, messing everything up. Let's start all over. I'm just kidding. All right. There are several other words that could have been used, and this is the first one, prosposo, uh, and that means to lay a finger on, okay? So to get the picture, here's the first one. It could have been translated to lay a finger on. That's not what is translated, okay? It could have been epi. That's to be against, okay? So like, you know, like an epicenter. Uh, it's like the, the center of what, where the area is against it. And then there's um, peri that's on this or on that. So that's like, I'm not going to climb. Yeah, okay. Y'all just get the picture, okay? That's on. Uh, there's sympatheo. That means touch like emotionally. Oh, I'm touched. You know, thank you so much. That, hey, that song you sang, brother, touched my heart. Okay? That's that one, okay? There's... Thingano, that means to handle and manipulate. That's like, hey, man, and he's like, don't what? Don't what? Don't touch, don't touch me. Yeah, that's that type of touch. Don't touch me, right? And that's like a, a causing bodily injury. It wasn't that one either. There's salafeo, that's to verify by contact. That's like Thomas saying, unless I can touch his hands or I can touch his side, I'm not going to believe. That's to verify by contact. So all these words, prospisoo, epi, peri, katago, uh, sympatheo, thingano, uh, salafeo, none of these words, they all mean touch, but those aren't the words that God used. God used the word haptomai, and the reason is specific. Uh, you have a lighter? Oh, okay, that, was a, that was a trick question there. I just uh, messed with you. Now, let me ask you a question. So all these other touches, right? What if I did have a lighter, and I touched him with the lighter? What's going to happen? Do you think this will be flammable? Probably. Probably. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to explain this here to you. But the word that we're looking at, it means to touch. But it's like saying to catch on fire. It's like what, if, what happens to you if fire touched you. Because fire doesn't just touch you. I can touch you and let go and the effects are gone. If fire touches you, you feel it afterwards. It lingers with you. Thank you, my brother. And uh, appreciate you not swinging on me. All right. The root word hapto means to fasten to, specifically to set on fire. To set on fire. And when I read that, I thought to myself, there's something different here. There's something different happening in this story. Then it's not as 
casual or, or leisurely. It's not just a story in passing. This is something happened here, and there's a reason for us to stop and look at what happened here. And uh, I just want to illustrate this idea of catching a fire of telling your story. So when I was in high school, I, um, uh, I, I went to public high school, and I had this really silly uh, little side hustle, brother. I would make these little bracelets and sell them. For some reason, it was a cool thing. And, you know, I went to school in kind of a bad area, and uh, uh, it was kind of a little bit rough. But they would, all the guys, like these, like, gang, like you know, what you would think of in Southside Chicago, like these gangbanger-type guys walking around with these really colorful bead bracelets. But I would, I would go buy the stuff and make these little bracelets to go to school and sell them for a dollar. And um, one night I was actually laying on my floor in my bedroom, and I was making these little bracelets. And I was about a 10th, 11th grade, somewhere around there. And, you know, to keep the ends from coming undone, you'd burn the end. And I had a candle right there on the floor, carpeted bedroom. And I was, you know, making little bracelets and laying there doing it. I fell asleep. I fell asleep on the floor next to a lit candle. So, middle of the night, I wake up with my arm in fire. And a spot on the carpet about this big had caught on fire. And my whole room is like filled with smoke from this little spot on the carpet. And I'm, my arm is in the fire. And I'm in the fire. Got, I felt the effects afterwards, you know. And I stood up. And I didn't know what to do. So I grabbed a blanket off my bed. And I just balled it up. And I just beat the fire. It didn't take much to put it out, you know, a little fire. But just think about how fire works here. And so then I go, I'm, I'm out of it. And so I take a step right into the melted beads. Now they're burning my foot. And I walk down the hallway thinking, the next thing that has to happen is I have to wake my mom up and tell her what just happened. And so, I mean, there's smoke in, like, the whole house. And I set that blanket. For whatever reason, I walked into the kitchen, and I set that blanket on the kitchen table. And then I was like, okay, back to my mom's room. And, again, I'm out of it. And I get down the hall. I get to my bedroom. I turn around, and the blanket's on fire on the kitchen table. And this is this is my life at this point. I'm like, what in the world? Why? But my, my point just being is that the fire... It was, it didn't just touch and let go. It, it had a lasting effect on something. And so this story here, and uh, I, that story really does make me feel like an idiot, but I tell it anyways just because because uh, uh, people listen when I tell it. So there you go. Um, so she touched Jesus in a way that made her different. Something rubbed off on her. And so, uh, so I loved it when I studied this out and learned this lesson. But now another story. I told you this morning, I was going to tell you a little bit about my testimony. So I told you this morning how I got saved on the bus. I also mentioned that my teen years, I didn't live for God or go to church. Well, I started going back to church right after I graduated high school. So I was 18 years old, 19. I went a couple times and started getting faithful. Well, I was asked to help Take a, youth, take a youth group to go hear a speaker. So this guy named Bob Gray, he doesn't pastor anymore. He used to pastor in Texas, if you ever heard him, Bob Gray, Longview Baptist Temple. Uh, he, um, uh, he was preaching somewhere in Virginia, and I was asked to go with the youth group to hear him. And so we go to, uh, we go to Virginia, got these teens, and in my mind, this is, this is for the teenagers. I'm just here because I was like 20, and they asked me just to go and be there, you know. And we're there, but I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it, right? And we're there, and he opens up to this scripture. And he starts reading this scripture, same one I just read to you. And he was calm, and he gets to that part where Jesus has a throng, and then just out of nowhere he says, Who touched me? I was like, whoa, what's this dude's problem? 
And he goes again, who touched me? I'm thinking, what is he yelling for, you know? Which some of y'all probably said that about me this morning, right? What is he yelling for? Okay. And again, who touched me? Now, I'm going to tell you, this was the most clear speaking of the Holy Ghost that I think I've ever felt in my life. For some, I don't, it was a 100% a God thing, brother. Like you go into that, to that house. I sat there in my seat, and I just started to cry. He said that this woman touched Jesus in a way that was different from everybody else. And while he went on to preach a whole message, I don't know what else he said. That whole sermon, I just sat in the seat right about right there. And I just argued with God. Because in that, as soon as he started preaching, something started burning inside of me that said, that said, Phil, I want a relationship with you like that that's different than everybody else. That's different. I, want to, I don't want you to be an average Christian. I don't, want you to, I don't want you just to go to church. I don't want you to just, I, I want something special. I want something different. I sat there and I thought to myself, God, fine. If that's what you want, that's what I want. God, I want something different. I want to have a special relationship with you. I want, the, I want what you want, God. And God said, then I want you to be a preacher. And I said, God, you misunderstood me. I said I wanted a special relationship with you. And God said, I heard you just fine. I want you to be a preacher. And I said, God, what does that have to do with what I'm telling you? And we argued in that seat for that whole time so much that I honestly cannot remember anything else he said that whole sermon. He just got to the scripture. And and all I know is that I kept saying, God, I want to experience you in a way that's different. I don't want to go through my life being a Christian who just uh, uh, just plays the part, looks the part. I want something real. I want to touch you in a way that's different. I want that lasting touch. I want it to touch. I want you to touch my life in a way that I leave different and I go out in this world different and I live my life different. And it's something that pleases you and it's something that's close to you. And I had this fire in my heart that burned and I wanted God. And God said, "If you want me that bad, preach." I thought, God, what is that? I don't understand. God, you don't know. You must obviously not have been paying attention. I'm an introvert. Okay, who's having trouble believing that right now? I'm an introvert. Hey, look, I don't like crowds. I love people from a distance. I don't, I I get overwhelmed by it. And I do not speak publicly. You understand? I went to college. I was I was in college at that time, and I took a speech class. I pointed at her because she teaches speech at a college, public speaking. I went to a speech class, and I had started working on a bus route, brother, and I had to do an informative speech, Shelly, and I was going to inform them of well, the bus ministry, whatever, right? And I had my bus flyer, and I'm, I'm telling you, let me get a piece of paper here. I had brought a bus flyer, and I was like, I was like, yes, yeah, so I do this thing. I go visit the kids, and, and I take in these bus flyers, and they were all staring at my hand. I was so nervous. I couldn't hold my hand still. And they went like this, and they all laughed. And I thought, well, there goes my public speaking ability, right? You know? Look, I'm not a public speaker. I don't do good with crowds. I don't like everybody looking at me like you're looking at me right now. But you understand, God told me to preach I didn't want to do it. I still don't want to do it. No, don't, don't tell the pastor that. <laughs> um, but listen, I, don't, I, have, I, have, I do not preach because, oh, man, wouldn't that be cool to get up in front of everybody and be like, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. Oh, who touched me? Yeah. No. No, leave me alone. My wife tell you all the time, we, we go to, 
Oh my goodness. Shelly, can I tell them? We, we, go, we go to family events like Christmas parties. What do I do, Shelly? I go, I go find a room that nobody's in. I go to sleep. I'm like, y'all are all occupied. I'm going to go take a nap. I'm like Jesus on the boat. I don't care about the storm. Leave me alone. I'm sleeping. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's the kind of close to God I want to be, you know. Let's go take a nap, Jesus. Anyways, and so I'll tell you a little bit more how that story goes there in just a minute. But I want you to understand, though, that there was something in my heart that wanted to be different. I didn't want this to just be a thing. You know what I mean? Church, God, the Bible, prayer. I mean, how, how often do we just go through life and it's just like this thing that's a part of our life? Man, I want Christ to be everything. I love what it says in the New Testament. It says, Christ who is my life. Now, we can be part of the crowd. We can be happy with just being around Jesus, and that is what most of us do. However, God's looking to do something special in our lives. I'm sorry, special in the lives of those who don't want to be just the average Christian. And see, let me just, uh, just as a side note, this is another thing that I just think God is so awesome for us because our God is so big that he can have a special relationship, a unique relationship with every single person who wants it. You understand that we look at people in the Bible, David had a heart after God, and we look at people in the Bible like, like Paul, who was this great uh, uh, used uh, uh, preacher, and you look at people who had this special position in God. You know, uh, Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him, and we see these people like that who had this special relationship, and we think, oh, look, oh that's so awesome that they had that, but what we fail to understand is that God's not a respecter of persons, and God wants that with everyone in this room, and God is so big that he can have it with everyone in this room. He can have a special, unique relationship with you that is different than anybody else, and it can be a special thing just between you and your God. And he wants that. He wants that for you. It's not, God's not saying, oh, no, I, you know, I do believe that that's the man of God, and I don't mess with the man of God. I was joking but serious about that. But that does not mean that God doesn't want to pray with you like he wants to pray with him. God doesn't want to speak to you out of your Bible like he wants to speak to him. God doesn't want to uh, 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 have fellowship, sweet, close fellowship with you the same way that he does with your pastor. He wants that for all of us. But, you know, God's not a bully either. What kind of relationship do you want with him? How much closeness do you want with him? Now, God's looking for Christians who want something different. If you want God in your life a way that's different, you're going to have to do some things differently. If you want God in your life in a way that's different, you're going to have to do some things differently. Now, I'm just going to pull out some phrases from this text and try to make application to our lives from it, okay? But the first thing we have to do is you have to realize your need. She went 12 years with this blood problem. She went 12 years... Now, I want to just, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this first point, and I'll probably run through a lot of the other ones a lot faster, but I, I don't know why, but I just, this, I think there's something to this, this, this number of 12 in this text, just because it appears more than one time, and it's implied in a, a, a third time. So, she had this issue of blood for 12 years. For 12 years, she had this disease. She spent all of her money on doctors. She went everywhere. She tried everything that she, that she could think of. All right? Right before that, Jairus, Jairus, I don't know how to say his name. You don't either, so don't judge me. Um, 
he, he came and he said, my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter. Well, you know what happened before they met him? They arrived on the coast there. Uh, uh, they met a maniac, a lunatic, a guy who had, was possessed of a devil. And it said that he had many devils for a long time. I don't know how long, but if I took a guess, if you said, well, take a guess, how long do you think he had it? I'd say 12 years. Why? Because the number, the 12 years already happened twice in the same story. I think, I think it's, it, one day I was reading, I read that and it stood out to me. I thought to myself, you know, I thought, where was I 12 years ago? And so you just think. Think to yourself real quick in the past 12 years ago, or this past 12 years, because for that woman, for 12 years, she had this need of this disease. And this man watched his daughter grow up for the last 12 years, and now he has the biggest need he's ever had for this child that he loves so much. And this maniac who had these devils and was possessed, probably possessed for 12 years, where were you 12 years ago? What's transpired in the last 12 years? Now you think about this, because the great thing about this story is that all three of those people, they got their answer that day from the same source. It was Jesus. Hey, you know what our need is? Our need is Jesus. And you know, it doesn't matter if it's sin. It doesn't matter if it's health. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what it is. Some miracle that you need. The answer is Jesus. That's what we really need. You understand? And I just, I I thought that was fascinating, the the reoccurrence, and just to think about your life in the span of, of however many years, and think about all that transpires, and really all the things that you had, all the things that you wanted, the only thing that you needed was Christ. And now, I just now thought that was interesting. That's another pause moment there. Okay, but look, we have many blessings, we have many privileges, but all we need is Jesus. And we have to come to the point where everything else is secondary. Okay, just remember, when you get to heaven, you know what you're going to do? You're going to hang out with Jesus. You know what you're not going to do? Look on Facebook. Uh-uh. You know what you're not going to do? You're not going to sit in traffic. You know what you're not going to do? You're not going to spend $4 on a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I don't know. I, I, don't, I never understand why I do it. I do it over and over. Everything else will be secondary. Mark 12:30, Jesus said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. What do you tell somebody to do first? The most important thing. God first. I love this verse. I mentioned this this morning. Colossians 1:18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who was the beginning, their firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I love that word preeminence. You know what that word means? This means the number one spot. In all things, it's God first. What about my family? Yeah, God first. What about in, in my job? Hey, you don't have to work at the church to still have God first at your job. That's Christ in you. And what, what, about in our, uh, what about this or what about that? It doesn't matter what it is. In all things that he might have the preeminence. The number one spot goes to him in every area of your life. If you want a relationship with God that's different from the average Christian, something that's special, it starts with that right there. You have to realize your need. I tried to live my life my way. I tried. It didn't work out so well. God called me to preach. Now, look, I thought about this a lot because, you know, I've told this story. Or I was like, because it is. It's a something to me that I sit here and wonder if I am, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like I'm asking God for a relationship with you, 
I figured that'd be what you want. You just keep telling me to preach. I've never heard an audible voice of God, but this was the closest thing to it I've ever experienced. God just kept telling me, I want you to preach. And it took me a while to realize the reason is because I'm sitting here telling God I want this special relationship, and he's telling me, yeah, okay, well, I need you to need me. I need you to need me. I didn't need him to do what I was doing at, at UPS where I was working. I didn't, in my mind at least, I didn't need him to do what I was doing with just hanging out with my friends and just, you know, helping out the church a little bit. I didn't need God for those things. But there's no way I'm preaching without him. You understand, there's no way I'm getting up in front of you people and telling you what he said without his help. You understand, there's no way I'm going to go out to complete strangers and tell them, think about how crazy it is when we go so and, hey, I know I don't know you, but you're going to go to hell. Can I help you with that? There's no way I'm doing that without his help. You see, God knew. He said, hey, if you want something with me that's going to be a special relationship, a thing that's just between me and you, then I need you to represent me because he knew that I could never do that without him. And if you want a special relationship, you better understand you need him. We spend too much of our lives, like I illustrated this morning, with our hand on Jesus' shoulder saying, oh, yeah, I believe in God. We need to fall into the arms of Jesus. We need to need him. Maybe there is something God has for you to do that you couldn't do without him. And that's what he's waiting on for you to give in to so he can have that special relationship with you. I love these uh, stories in the Bible. I'm actually writing a curriculum right now. Uh, for a, It's a discipleship curriculum, but the whole thing is kind of aimed towards teaching someone to be a soul winner, but using soul winning as the objective, but it's just discipleship, reading your Bible, praying, going to church, all those things, simple Bible doctrine, but everything's kind of connected around soul winning, to get somebody saved and to make them a soul winner, like fast, like fast track to being a soul winner. And uh, I, I, I noticed this in the Bible that the word straightway is in there several times. Listen to some of the times it's used. The Bible talks about the Samaritan woman who got saved at the well. A woman that nobody, that she didn't want to be around anybody and nobody wanted to be around her because of the type of woman she was. The Bible says that straightway she went and told everybody. She found the Messiah who told her everything she had ever done. I love that. Simon and Andrew were fishing. Jesus came and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Straightway they followed him. Straightway. I love Saul of Tarsus. The the one who was hunting and killing Christians sees the light on the Damascus Road, and the Bible says that he straightway preached Christ. Hey, folks, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? You, you doing it because you don't feel qualified? Good. Now you need him. Now you need him. All right, so number one, we, we have to realize our need. If we want a relationship with God that's different, we have to realize our need. Number two, we have to press through the crowd. Verse 42 says that the people thronged him. Verse 44 says that she reached through that throng, that, that press of people, and she touched the border of his garment. Now, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. And, again, I am not, I don't, you know, there's some, uh, how do I say this? I want to say, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me. I need you right now. All right. You know, we're independent Baptists, and I love the independent part because that means, you know, you do what you want at your church, the way you think God's leading you, and the other church can do what they want, and they should probably mind their business, and you'll do the same, right? Can we agree on that? So, uh, 
But, I, you know, sometimes some preachers, they just like to say things for a little shock factor. That is not me. I don't want to start you to, to but I just, we got so many excuses, you know. We say, you know, if I want you, God, why, why am I acting like I don't have time? Why am I acting like I got, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. We got time for Facebook. We got time for Netflix. We got time for all these other things. You, ha- you have hobbies. But we don't have time to get some extra time in, in prayer. We don't have time to get extra time in the Bible. We don't have time to take a little bit of extra energy to go help on that bus route or do this or that. You see, the problem is, is we just got too many excuses. But this woman said, look, I'm a little lady and there's all these men surrounding him, but I am going to get through. I am going to push through and I, because I've realized that my need, the only thing keeping me from my need is these men, I will reach right through and grab him. You understand? What, what is it that's keeping us from having this relationship? Whatever it is, we need to push through that crowd. We need to not let it keep us from getting to Jesus because that's what we need. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to bump into anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. And that's becoming a real big thing. And you know, I've realized there's, there's no reason to offend if we don't have to. You know what I mean? I thought about that, and I've changed my mind on some things. I used to, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s, praise the Lord, and when you uh, you stayed out until the streetlights came on, you know, and then you come home. And uh, but, but that was Mom's answer. When you came home and said, Mom, this, she said, go outside. That's, that was my life. Hey, Mom, that, that go outside. <laughs> you don't talk to me until after the streetlights come on, and then you come in. But it was different. You know, we used to, we used to say words that, honestly, now I wouldn't say. You know, I'll, uh, I, I will give you one example just to make sure that we're clear. We used to flippantly use the word retard to, to be a, a playful insult. All right, I was in North Carolina, and I, I had a, a good friend there named Brother Jared. He ran a special needs ministry there at the church. He'd have 30 to 40 special needs people. And I went in there, and I would see those people, and I would watch him love them. And then one day, somebody used the word retard, out of place. And I remember the look on his face. You know, I don't want to be insensitive unnecessarily, and so uh, I, I think we should be careful about that. But look, there's a lot of things we should be careful about, but this world is changing in a big way, and it's not good. And I don't want to go calling, uh, uh, the Bible calls them sodomites. I don't want to go calling them all kinds of names. They need Jesus. You understand? There's people that I don't... This last political cycle drove me crazy. It was making me become a person that I don't want to be. I was getting very angry. And y'all, y'all probably can all relate to that, right? But I'm sitting there thinking, you know why we have people in power that are totally con- contrary to the Word of God, who totally are, are against God and the things of God? The reason why they're in power right now is not because not enough of us voted and it's not because they cheated and it's not because any of, that, any of those things. It's because we didn't give, give them the truth and tell them how to get saved before they became that person. You understand the reason why this country is different from the country it was just when I was a kid is because we didn't do anything to stop it. And I don't mean marching. I don't mean uh, mean tweets and Facebook. The gospel changes lives. 
every politician that you're mad about, every time you go to the gas pump and you I, I, uh, uh, three fifty I paid for gas today, and I'm thinking, now yeah, you want to we want to get mad at the politicians, but do you know why they're you know why things are happening the way they're happening is because those people don't have Jesus. They have the same need we have, and we failed in giving it to them. And, but we don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to be we don't want to be too aggressive with the gospel. We don't want to uh, we don't want to offend. Look, I don't want to offend either. But if it hurts your feelings that I don't want you to go to hell, I really think that's your problem. Right? If it hurts your feelings that I don't want you to go to hell, why are you mad at me about it? Man, let's, let's do something about it. Now, I, I say that to say this, is that, you know, sometimes with our Christianity, that's how we are. Could you imagine if this woman with the issue of blood pushed through the crowd, or she wanted to push through the crowd, but she didn't because she was afraid who would see her? Well, I don't want them to think I'm, you know, like some religious nut trying to see this preacher. You know what I mean? What if she was worried about the crowd seeing her and what they thought of her? And she didn't do it because of that. We wouldn't be reading this story. You understand that, it, it, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Somebody uh, uh, jokingly, a friend of mine jokingly said something about, oh, you've got to go to your cult, talking about our church. Hey, let me just say this real quick. If we're a cult, guess what? The cult told me how to go to heaven. The cult showed me from the Bible how I can know for sure I have my sins washed away. The cult showed me how to live for God and to not live for the world and myself. The cult showed me how to love people. The cult showed me how to care. The cult showed me how to love my wife. The cult showed me how to raise my kids. The cult showed me how to be a good and decent person. Hey, yeah, I'm going to the cult. What do I care what they think? Press through the crowd. Press through the crowd. We... Do you want... A special relationship that's different. You have to realize your need. You have to press through the crowd. And you have to answer his call. Look, he said, who touched me? The Bible says that she was trembling. But she answered him. Now, when I sat in that church back there and God was burning in my heart saying, I want you to be a preacher. When that invitation started, I couldn't take it anymore. And I jumped up. And I, all these teens are supposed to be, you know, this is a youth rally. And here I am, and I come down to the altar, and I say, God, I'll do it. I'll be a preacher. I answered that call. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> you might be fighting God right now, but look, just stop, because this is the thing. This is the thing. Listen, listen, listen. She answered the call, and the Bible said that then she had peace. You know what happens when God has a will for us, and we live outside of it? We never can have that peace. You understand that whole story, that 40-year time period of the children of Israel in the wilderness, God gave us that story just to remind us, hey, you will not have peace outside the will of God. Now, I told you the other points would be faster. We have to realize our need. We have to press through the crowd. We have to answer the call, verses 46 and 47, if you want to look at it. And we have to just let it be known. Look, she declared to him before all. The Bible says she declared to him before all. All these guys are looking around and they're all saying, he says, who touched me? And Peter's like, we're all touching you. You're, look at this crowd and you say, who touched you? And he said, no, somebody touched me in a way that's different. For I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And she says, it was me. In front of all these people, all these men, 
she answers that call, and she just let it be known. She declared him before all. Now listen, I, I, I tell you that story, and you probably think, oh, he surrendered to preach. Yeah, I did. I didn't tell anybody. You know why? Because I was afraid if I told somebody, then I was going to have to actually do it. And so my pastor at the time, he's an evangelist now, his name is Cliff Burwell, but he... um. Uh, he was—I love—he was crazy. He just—he would tell you that too, so I don't feel bad. But he, uh, about—I uh, guess it was four months later, five months later, my uncle was in the hospital, and uh, and I said, "Hey, will you visit my uncle and witness to him?" So we went, and my uncle Terry got saved. Praise the Lord! And he ended up dying uh, just a few years ago. He's in heaven now. But on the way back, we stopped at Chick Fil A. Praise the Lord, Chick Fil A. And um and we're sitting at Chick Fil A and we're eating, and uh, he uh, he's just kind of eating a salad. And I, I felt like I gotta tell him, I gotta tell him. I say, Pastor, remember when we went with those teens to the youth rally? He's like, Yeah, yeah. He's like, I, I surrendered to preach. I told God I was going to be a preacher. And he said, Oh, he just keeps by eating. He's like, I kind of thought, kind of thought God was dealing with you. And then he didn't. I was like, Whew, God, wow, that one. Listen to me. That week he called me and said, Hey, Phil. I got blood poison. I can't preach Wednesday night. You got to preach. God called you to preach, right? He has absence of blood vessels in his, uh, in his arms and his legs. He, he gets a paper cut. He'll get blood poison. He's had it over 200 times in his lifetime. And um, they all, the doctors always tell him, next time you get it, it's probably going to kill you. So uh, a weird disease. But, but it did just so happen. Just so happened you got blood poison. Here I go. So, but he made me preach. And so that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that if we tell God we'll do whatever it takes to have a special relationship, that he might actually want us to do it. Folks, listen. She got healed. She got peace. It is worth it. Let me just, I'm wrapping up right now, right on time. Amen. When this woman got a hold of God in a way that was different from everybody else, she gained virtue. She gained true goodness. She gained empowerment. She got divine help. She got better. You hear me? She got better. Isn't it simple logic that we should want to be better? She found peace. So what are we so afraid of? I'm going to read you. I just want you to, again... These two verses are verses that every Christian should commit to heart. You should memorize it. You should meditate on it. You should apply it to your life. Every jot and tittle of these two verses, you should try to apply it to your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know why I preach? Because it is the will of God for my life. Do you know why? Do you know? And I'm just going to tell you, the Bible's closed. And I just do that to make you feel better. It doesn't really mean anything. I don't use it half the time anyways. All right. <clears throat> but I just want you to know this, okay? The scariest thing I ever do in my life is preach. Because I'm telling you, that's not my personality. That's not Phil Mahoney's personality. But I'm going to tell you, there is nothing I do in my life where I don't feel 
closer to God. I don't feel more used of God. Or I don't feel better about who I am as a person. There is nothing that happens in my life that I don't feel more like I am in God's will than when I preach God's word to God's people. And we joked about it earlier, about the foolishness. It says, please God, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God calls preaching foolishness. And think about it. I'm up here sweaty, spitting all over the place, yelling at you. I'm a sinner as much as anybody else. And I'm preaching from a holy book about a holy God to a bunch of other people who are just as sinful. I mean, it's weird. And we do it over and over again. But I'm going to tell you, it's a God thing. Listen to me. It's a God thing. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. And look, that's my story. I'm not telling you you need to be a preacher. I'm not, that's, I'm not telling you this to say, hey, you want to be close to God, you need to be a preacher. But if God's telling you that to be close to Him, He needs you to be a preacher, you need to listen to Him. Because I'm going to tell you, in times in my life where because of circumstances, Pastor, that I was not preaching, that's when I felt the most miserable. I had a decent job just a few months ago teaching in a Christian school, still had influence. And in that job, I still felt like the only thing I did that mattered was the once a month when I got to preach chapel. I said, this is stupid. I mean, Christian school is great. My kids still go to the school. I said, I, said, this is, I like Christian school. I like Christian education. I like science. I taught science. I, I, I'm going to talk about snakes tomorrow night, by the way. Uh, and, and all that stuff is fine and dandy, but I didn't feel like I was in God's hand being used by an almighty God to make a difference when I was teaching science. Or when I go paint on a, on a job site or whenever I do anything else like that. When I do what God called me to do and I get in that perfect will, even if it makes me a weirdo, even if it makes me stand out in the crowd as being different, even if it makes me look like I'm in some kind of cult over there, no, you can think whatever you want, but that's when I have peace with God and we have something special. What do you want? What do you want? I'm telling you, I don't want to just go home and and just, you know, oh, hey, Shelly, good to see you. I'm, you know, I don't want to live my own life in the same house. We got something special, me and this woman right here. Why call ourselves Christians, take the name of Christ, and not make it special? Pastor, I'm going to hand the invitation. I'm going to get my pen back first. I'm going to hand the invitation over to you. But, folks, listen, that verse is present your body a living sacrifice. You understand that in the Old Testament, when they had sacrifices, they took it to the altar and they killed it. It was dead. It was a dead sacrifice. But they went and laid it on the altar before God. He says, I don't want any more dead sacrifices. Jesus is the last sacrifice I need. I want a living sacrifice. But you know, sometimes there's still something about going and putting that sacrifice on the altar. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, I go down and pray at the altar all the time. You don't have to, though. Me and Pastor talked about that this morning, too. I'm not trying to force anybody to go to to this altar. But you need to present yourself to God in a way that's... It's a real, it's an event that happens. You understand? Whether it's in your seat right now, whether it's at home in your favorite chair, you need to go to God and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of this. I want, I want more with you. I want, a, I want a deeper relationship, and this is what's keeping me from doing it, and I'm done. God, you want this from me. I fought it, but I'm giving in. How would Shelly feel if I loved her with all my heart and never told her? How would she feel if I, if I always thought, man, it would be great to spend the rest of my life, but I never asked her to marry me? See, you've got to make something happen there. Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you uh, take it there how you choose. But folks, 
God's got something for you. Amen.